Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world right now. I am Louisa, your host, and I'm so excited about our guest today, Paul Selig. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels today. Paul has a gift to channel the wisdom of the guides, becoming a portal or doorway to the divine or the higher octaves of consciousness that is available to us beyond our ordinary perception. Paul is a medium and author of nine channeled books. His latest is called The Kingdom. This is his story and this is his passion. Paul Selig, welcome back to Passion Harvest. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be here. So you are one of the foremost spiritual channels today. For those that might not know, what is channeling? Well, I, I call myself a clairaudient and I take dictation from a consciousness or guides, if you want to call them that, that um, seem to know a whole lot more than I do or perhaps we do. So I'm really a radio for a broadcast. And I think, you know, what I do is I take dictation and word for word. So the guides have dictated now nine books through me. Um, and it's the unedited transcripts of those sessions that become the books. Um, so really, I'm just here in service to the information. That's a great way to describe it. For those that would like to channel, is it available to everyone? And what, I guess this is two questions, but do you do some sort of preparation prior to channeling? You know, I've been doing it a long time. I started opening up as a clairaudient when I was in my early 30s, and I wasn't expecting it. And I learned to do this through the doing of it, not because I expected to be working as a channel or, or bringing through, you know, entire books. I think we're all radios, um, and I think that we all have some capacity to tune into higher levels of consciousness and the guides I work speak to this in, in their books. Do I think everybody's sort of set up to be a channel? I don't think so necessarily. I think that, you know, I'm not six foot four. I'm probably not going to make the basketball team. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're sort of wired differently, but I do think that we're all wired to, to move into access with our own true knowing and to have some access with the guides that work with us. Um, at this point in my work, it really is just like turning a radio dial, just, you know, just see this much and you're in a whole other broadcast and I'm used to that. So it's comfortable for me. I don't have a lot of preparation anymore. I just switch the channel. It's just amazing. And you're, you know, well, the guides messages or your messages are such powerful and positive messages. Who are or what are the guides? They're teachers. They call themselves teachers. They say that they're operating at They'll call it a level of, they call it Christ consciousness, or it's a level of vibration and awareness. Um, they come through, for the most part, as a we, as a collective. They've used the name Melchizedek when they've used a name. And they've said, well, if you want to call us something, you can call us this. 
But I really try not to get hung up on the names because I think when people get hung up on the names, at times they're also sort of getting hung up, hung up on the ego, you know, that wants to create a title for everything. Mm-hmm. And for my purposes, you know, I, at this point, I recognize the dictation. I recognize the voices that come through and, um, and I trust them at this point. If something were to come through that I didn't quite trust, I don't know that I'd be taking dictation from it in a book. And, and as you said, there are a collection of energies. So then it's, it's not always the same. I'm not going to say there's, persons. There's a, there's, there are, there's a variance, a slight variance in how the energy presents itself through me. I'm, I'm channeling another book now. And I had a group of people here last week who were present for some of the, the dictation. And um, there was a guy that came through that felt to me, fairly female, which was a bit of a surprise. And the the reference points that were being used were unlike I've heard from other guides, although the accent that came through was comparable. So I noticed the distinction primarily in word choices. There's one book um, called The Book of Truth that was dictated through me a number of years ago. And that felt like a book that had already been written and somebody sat down right beside me and just whispered it to me very, very carefully. But in that word, in that book, the guides use the word dear a lot, which is a word that I really can't stand. And I was horrified to keep hearing it every other paragraph. And now we would like you to know dears. And I'm going, oh no. But, you know, that's pretty much the only time I've I've heard that. Um, for the most part, when you look at the, um, the transcripts, which become the books, you know, the, the, the word choice and the cadence and the sentence structure is all pretty much in agreement, you know, regardless of the slight differences of energy and accent that come through when the dictation occurs. I can't wait to move on to your book and the, and, and, the books are a dictation, which is absolutely remarkable. But I just wanted to ask you one more question about your work as a medium. Uh-huh. Often you take, or you say you take on the personalities of your clients. Yeah. Well, how does, sorry, I'm how does that happen? I'm a radio. So that think of, think of so when I'm channeling the, the broadcast that I'm tuned into are the guides that come through me. If I were reading for you and you were estranged from, say, your brother, and you give me your brother's name, I'm going to tune into the station that plays as your brother. And I might hear him or start to resemble him, you know, or take on his mannerisms as part of the reading. It's a, I guess it's a form of a physical mediumship. I don't really know, but it's just, you know, a friend of mine says mediumship is becoming the object of inquiry. So I go back and forth between people and I do a lot of the work that I do with clients is actually sort of with the living and on those relationship pieces or on where people are blocked or, you know, unsupported, you know, in their own ability to communicate because they can't hear at quite at the level that I hear. So I can be tuning into you and hearing you at a level of personality or perhaps at a higher level, which is the part of you that says to me, this is what's really going on, even though I don't really want to know about it. Um, <laughs> same would be true for the people in your life. That they're not consciously aware of. No, I think we're all aware at a higher level. Mm-hmm. So I never feel like I'm spying. Once in a while, somebody will say, I'm not going to talk about it. I go, okay, that's your right, you know, perfectly fine. 
But I think a part of us, uh, we're always in communicating, you know, beyond language. And, you know, I work, I guess that the, the word would be telepathically, you know, it's just, it's, it's a form of clairaudience and clairsentience, I suppose, you know, combined. And I didn't know that I could do this until I was doing it. I didn't know it until somebody came for a session, asked about her father. I had my eyes closed and then she gasped and she said, oh my God, you started to look just like him. Oh, and then I realized that happened all the time. You know, I could do, I could do, I could access at that level. And I liked that a lot because I like things that are sort of provable, you know, that can be, you know, vetted and spoken. I mean, I've been filmed, you know, stepping into people that I've never met who have disabilities or unique characteristics and I take them on, you know, without having met them or even necessarily understanding. I was reading for somebody once and I tuned into somebody and I did that, you know, I didn't, I don't know what this means. And they said, well, he's a skier. Those are the poles, you know, it's like, that's the kind of thing that happens. And then I have to build the vocabulary of what things mean through my experience. And yes, and, and, and it comes down also to trusting yourself. I know you explained that you're a radio frequency or yeah. connecting with that, but how do you connect with people for your clients? Is it just a matter of them saying the name or sharing yeah, the name? I mean, it's, I think the name is a coordinate for me. And I know a lot of psychics, we all work with names, you know, it's, it's, it's like psychometry when somebody said, give me somebody's watch and I'll tell you about the owner of the watch. Right. If you give me the name, it becomes my coordinate on the map. And that's all I really need to be, to be able to step in and tune in at that level. Yeah. And as you said, we always want something instantly, but you've been practicing this for years and years and training. So it just. Well, I was a college teacher for 25 years and I was doing this work very, very, very quietly. I wasn't looking to become known for it. I wasn't really looking for it to become a career you know, and once the book started coming out, which was in 2010, so not that long ago, I had to make a shift towards becoming more public with this. And I chose eventually to leave my academic jobs. But I, I was doing this very quietly. I had a group that met in my apartment for about 18 years where we sat in a circle. And I was more interested in the energy that was coming through than the information. I don't encourage people who want to channel to run around saying, okay, who wants to talk to me? Because just because somebody wants to talk to you that doesn't have a body doesn't necessarily mean that they have anything good to say. Do you know what I mean? Like I always say my grandma, who's no longer with us, was married four or five times. She's not who I need to go to on the other side for relationship advice. That doesn't, doesn't feel like a wise counsel, but somebody else perhaps, you know? Yeah, so be careful. Yeah, it's, it's caution. I listen, I just always say, don't listen to fear. Any voice that starts espousing fear is probably not a very high voice. And any voice that's telling you how special you are and you're the only one, that's also appealing to the ego, which is also tends not to be very high level stuff. So, you know, I feel, at least in my case, that I was worked with and prepared for the work that I do now over time. And that's not to say that some people just don't emerge fully flowered and with great capacity. I'm, I know that's true and that they do. Well, now moving on to your remarkable works, The Kingdom, your new, huh? well, I don't know if you call it yours or your channeled book, Big Congratulations. It's a great book. What is The Kingdom for those that are listening? 
The guides define the kingdom as the awareness of the inherent divine in all manifestation. So they say it's God is all things. And it's the realization of the divine is all things. The guides say there's one note sung in the universe, um, which they can, they, sometimes they call it the word. Sometimes they call it God or, you know, source. It doesn't really matter, I don't think. But they say that this one note is an articulation or manifestation is everything that we see and experience. And the realization of the divine that is our experience is actually what transforms reality and our experience of ourselves and reality is altered by this, this kind of bearing witness that they're teaching us to do. So are we, are, are we individual or are we all intricate? Are we all one? We're all one, and we're, but we're individuated aspects of source. So, you know, I mean, if you think of a raindrop, you know, the raindrop is unique or the snowflake is unique, but, you know, it's of the whole. And we're of the whole. I think we're probably far less different than we assume ourselves to be. But they say we've misidentified with what they call the personality structure. Sometimes they say the small self. Um, who knows itself from and through separation. So, you know, it's about knowing who you are um, and understanding that I have a personality, I'm in a male body, I'm of a certain age, these things that make me, me unique, uniquely me, mm-hmm. but that I'm also of the great whole. So the guides say, you know, when all the rain falls, it rejoins the sea, it goes into the big puddle, you know, the snow, the snow melts, the... The, the uniqueness of each snowflakes is, is, is assumed by the whole. And the guides are teaching us a, a kind of assumption or being assumed in a higher level of awareness, which doesn't take away our uniqueness, but I think does gives us an, give us an experience of, of unification that we don't necessarily get through our experience here in separation. I'm just digesting all this, but how do we, I mean, so often many of us have lost track of the essence of who we are. How do we connect with source or God or the kingdom on a deeper, greater level? That's the book. It's all the books, actually. All the books are about this. I mean, this is the ninth book. It's the third trilogy that the guides have written. And the very first book, which was called I Am the Word, which was dictated over two weeks in two thousand and nine, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know it was going to happen until two days before, was really preparing us for what is happening now, I think, in the world and also with our own individual potential and the realization of potential. I think one of the first things one has to do is to know that you can't be separate from the whole, even though it sure feels like it. The guides say, you know, the only real problem humanity faces is what they call the denial of the divine or saying God can't be there because the God say who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. Everything they say operates in co-resonance, you know, or, or vibrational accord. They'll say A-C-C-O-R-D or A-C-H-O-R-D is on a piano. They say everything is in tone. So to, to what they're doing in these books and specifically in this last book and the book, a couple of books preceding it, as they talk about transposition, they talk in musical terms, they don't really talk about dimensions, but they say, you know, any piece of music can be sung or played in a higher octave. 
and they say reality is a structure of octaves, you know, one upon the next. And we're used to this octave that we've all been playing in, which is our collective reality. And they're bringing us to the octave above. But in order to go to the octave above, you have to sort of be transposed or be re-sung or re-articulated in a higher way because they say we're all in tone and vibration. And, you know, that's the process that they take their students through. The guides are teachers. They're there to teach. It's not really self-help, I don't think. I'm sure my publisher wishes the guides were doing self-help books, but it's not <laughs> a better boyfriend or girlfriend or house. It's, you know, they've got other, other fish to fry but they do seem to be teaching us who and what we truly are beyond what we've been um, taught or told or agreed to through uh, a collective reality of what's allowed and what's not allowed. And how do we change our reality to the higher octaves, as you say, and obviously read the book, but is there a, a few tips you can offer us of how Sure, I mean, it's not, it's not as hard as one assumes. I mean, you know, in a lot of disciplines, you'll hear, look for the good or the God in everybody. You know, it's a simple, simple teaching. Mm -hmm. But the guides say what you bless blesses you in return and what you damn damns you back. And they say to bless something is to realize the presence of the divine upon it. To damn it is to say God or whatever you want to call God can't be there, would never be there in that person, in that thing, whatever it may be. Because what we end up doing through damning um, is supporting the negativity that we say we don't want to see. And they say nothing is transformed at that level. It's just reinforced. The guides say that the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice we make in fear gets us more of the same. And that's true individually and collectively. They make a big distinction, though, between the idea of fear and prudence. Prudence is wise. Prudence is it's raining, best to bring an umbrella. You know, not that the rain is evil, just mm -hmm. best, to, best to carry the umbrella or choose to get soaking wet and maybe, you know, a cold. So these are very simple things, but they do say that how we see anything impacts the structure, the, the matter that is the thing. So, you know, if I call the tree outside ugly, I'm going to end up with an ugly tree. You know, it's going to become my experience. And finally, I suspect they would say the tree will adhere finally to how it's been called. And um, they're teaching us, I think, about remaking reality through consciousness, you know, lifting things to their true state of being, which is outside of fear, you know, back into the presence of the divine. I mean, I'm a student of this work. I'm not the best student of this work. I am not a spiritual teacher. I am not a guru. I could care less. None of that stuff I want to do in my life. I'm happy to show up with this dictation as best I can and explain it when I'm asked to, but I'm just somebody else on the path, you know, and, and I, I believe them at this point because they're so darn consistent in their teachings. Um. Yeah, well, what you what you think about, I guess, creates your reality. I just wanted to touch on fear. It's so prevalent at, well, that always has been, at, particularly at this point in time in the world. And I've heard some of your channelings on fear. It's quite remarkable. Do you mind just sharing a little bit more about fear and how to overcome it? 
Well, I mean, it's most, most of it's just been said. I mean, the action of fear is to create more fear. The guides actually say fear isn't very smart. They just said this recently in the, in the book that they're dictating now, and I've never heard that before. They said fear isn't that intelligent. It seeks to replicate itself at its own level. And it operates kind of like cancer. It just eats everything it gets, you know, and that you really don't fight fear. You really can't fight it because if you're engaging with it at that level, you're in a lower vibrational accord. You can face it. You can rise above it. And rising above it is often what they teach because they say, you know, they teach this thing. They call it the upper room. And they say, you know, it's another level of consciousness. It's the octave above this one that we've known ourselves through. And they, they bring people to the upper room in their classes and in their books and the live streams. They bring people there. And then they'll often say, you know, what are you afraid of? And people always say nothing because there's nothing there that's frightening. Mm-hmm. You move to a level of alignment where fear isn't operating in the same way. And the guide said, you know, we're born into this world. And they say it's a little bit like somebody peed in the pool before we got here. You know, we all enter into this messy muck that's where so much is just fear-based. And then we expect fear to become our teacher. And then we wonder why we're not having an easy time. And they say, well, fear can be a teacher. It's just not the best one. I mean, we can learn the stupidity of war by exterminating all life on this planet if we want to but perhaps there are better ways to learn that war doesn't really get us what we think where we want you know so um yeah i mean every book they've written talks about fear and and i think the teachings just get a bit more sophisticated as they go forward because they just keep unpacking things um, I'm not to say that I'm without fear. I'm still frightened, but I'm not as terrible. I'm not as terrified as I used to be. And I used to be pretty terrified, you know, of life and myself and my world. And so when I look at my life now, I'm not doing what I used to do. I'm not reinforcing the negativity that I've, you know, used to justify. But, you know, I think it's an individual path. But the simplest way to begin to change this is to stop making choices based in fear. You know. I, I mean, I just love, love, love your, the messages that you're sharing. Um, I'm sure you get this question asked very often. What would you say to people that are afraid of death or afraid of transitioning? You know, I I think it's just another radio station that we go to. I mean, that's really what I think it is at this point. I'm not a medium for the dead. I I come through once in a while when I'm reading for people, but I don't call myself a spiritual medium. The guides come through and that spiritual work, and then I can, the living are pretty easy for me to to tune into. Um, And when people come through from the other side, I'm surprised. Um, And they, you know, and I have friends that are spiritual mediums and my friends who've crossed come through them and I'm always so happy. Um, But I will say, I was, I was talking about this recently. I was on an airplane a number of years ago that I thought when the guides were saying, you know, the only real fear you have is fear of death. I mean, that's sort of the basis. And Mm -hmm. I was on a plane that I was pretty convinced was going to go down. It was pretty awful. And I went, well, guess I'm not done with this one because I was scared. I was grabbing the poor person next to me on the airplane. So, but I think it's another, it's another station. I have a a dear friend, Bob Olson, who has a very good book called Answers About the Afterlife, where he asks a lot of the uh, 
answers a lot of people's questions about what happens and when, and I think it's to be trusted. Thank you. Um, what do the guides say about why, why are we here? Why have we incarnated into this humanness? To learn. This is school. That's what I get. You know, the action of the day is the lesson of the day. But I mean, finally, I suspect they would say we're here to realize our inherent divinity and to, to come into a level of embodiment. You know, that's the passage they say of every soul, finally. Um, but what the guides are teaching is, well, a kind of resurrection of, of one's inherent divinity in form, which they say illumines the soul, mm. you know, become as a lantern. You shine the light of the divine upon all you see, and all you see is transformed by that light. So you become, you know, you're, you, you become an expression of, of the divine. We already are that. We're just denying it already. God say, you know, you can't make anything holy. It already is, but you can deny it any way you want to. And we're pretty good at that. I just love the analogies that they give and they explain things so well. It's incredible. What do the guides say about the times that we're currently living in? You know, in the first book, the guide said, um, which was called I Am the Word, mm -hmm. they said humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations and everything that's been created in fear has to be renown or reclaimed in a higher way. That's my understanding of, um, of where we're at still. And they've gone into more detail about this as they've continued to dictate, you know, which is everything that's been concealed will be revealed. But you see, we live in a culture that likes to blame, you know, so the guide said, you know, everything that's been hidden he said, imagine you're living like your backyard's become an archaeological dig and things that were buried there five years ago and 5,000 years ago are all being exhumed. The reason they're being exhumed is to not to blame and shame and, you know, scorn. It's to re-see because nothing gets healed until it's re-seen. Nothing, nothing gets changed until it's brought to the light. You know, and I think that that's true with the aspects of ourselves, because we all have these parts of ourselves that we don't know what to do with or would seek to deny or we think are shameful. And the guides say, you know, if you've got a dead body in the basement, eventually it's going to stink up the whole house. So it's got to come up. So we've been in that period now, and they've been talking for the last couple of years. And, you know, they begin this uh, Pre-COVID, actually, there were some some lectures when they said everybody get ready because everything's going to get turned on its head, and and at the time I said, as I was living in New York, I said I don't know what's coming, but please don't let me be in New York. Let me just be someplace pretty. Right. And I ended up. I now I live on Maui. I haven't been back to New York <laughs> since the whole thing happened. It's the craziest thing. So. Um, I don't know what I was saying. They talk a lot about this being a time of tremendous opportunity for us, but a lot of sort of the factioning and the, the division that we're experiencing now, they're saying is what's always been there that needs to be seen to be cleared and healed because finally nothing gets healed when we're in denial of it. And the guides were lecturing last week and they said, you know, somebody, somebody one of them said, you know, if you have envy in, in your heart, they said, you know, 
it, it, and you don't steal the silver of your of the place you're visiting, it doesn't mean that you don't want to. So just because we're not acting on our impulse to to kill everybody or to shame or to, to damn or whatever we want to do, doesn't mean it's not there. And I think what we're having to finally address is the fact that it's there. And all of these ways that separation outpictures itself, separation from the one beside us, separation from another group, so and all that stuff. And they've also been talking a fair amount for the last few years about sort of the collapse of systems that are informed by fear, whether they be government, economic, all these things, religious systems, all of these things that sort of have a basis in fear control will need to be reseen. And I don't get for a minute that that's a, a terrifically graceful process. You know, it's, it's a, it can be a bit of a mess, but perhaps a necessary mess. Because, you know, they said you can only fix the leaking roof for so long, there comes a time when you have to, you know, rebuild the house. So that's kind of, I think, where we're at. And very interesting. And there, we well, used kind of touched on it, but there are future predictions for the future of humanity. What I've heard from them, and I hope it's true, is they say we're going to make it. They say that humanity, I, I, don't, I don't know that this is true, but what they've said is humanity has sort of a collective soul. The species has a soul. And at a, at a collective level, we've decided that we're going to get through this. We're going to make it. And this is all opportunity then in order to do so. You know, in the past, they've said, you know, you... They said, you know, the, the idea that we could build nuclear bombs in the presumption that they're going to keep us safe must be seen as absolutely ridiculous because finally they're meant to go off. And the idea of having a bigger bomb and being more safe becomes even more ridiculous because they say you have the ability to kill everyone and everything at this point, and you may. But I don't get that anymore. I don't, I don't, I really never did. I mean, it's always been a hopeful message. They've never been, you know, prophesizing gloom and doom. They challenge, yes, and a lot of challenge, but you know, we want our comfort. People want their spiritual lives to be cozy and comfortable, you know? And I don't know that it gets to be that all the time. I think we all have passages where we're floating on the, the lovely river watching the flowers bloom on either side of the bank. And there are other times we're going over the darn waterfall saying, what the hell's going on? <laughs> you know, and I think right now we're in a collective, you know, experience of challenge. And I think how we survive that and move through that is, is actually very much up to us individually and collectively. It has a lot to do with how we treat other people as well, in my opinion. It'll be very interesting, our future evolution. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to finally touch on one thing you mentioned about one of your books. You were channeling the books, but you said that it almost it had already uh, yeah. been done. Yeah. What's their concept of time and has thing has everything already occurred? They're talking about time a lot now and what they're dictating. And it's, I'm surprised they're going there. But they say, you know, our experience of ourselves is in linearity and that we know ourselves in linear time. Mm -hmm. When they were dictating one of the books, it was, might have been the second or third book, they said, you know, if you're having a, an issue to the reader, they said, if you're having a problem 
if you have a question about the text as you're reading it, ask the question. Because as we are dictating to Paul, we're also with you as you're reading the book, because we're operating outside of time. And people started, you know, writing these reviews saying, I asked a page on page, I asked a question on page two, it was answered on page three. You know, every time you go back to the book, it feels like it's a different book. So I don't know how this all works, but they say that, you know, there's the eternal now and our idea of time exists within it and we're actually not bound by it in the ways we think we are and that linear time is a collective agreement that we're all engaged in, you know, but they say the true self or the divine self or the God within, whatever you want to call it, is eternal and exists beyond time, although it may express in time through us. So that's kind of like being in the world, but not of it. You understand? Yes. Everything's happening right now. Everything. And what we perceive as the past or the future may already have occurred nothing's linear i mean this this interview might have happened a long time ago i suppose i mean i don't i don't i don't go here that much they're talking about it now in a book and i don't know how far they'll go but in the past they've talked about time as cyclical like plates mm-hmm. stacked that can be experienced in different ways not a straight line and um the, the methods of healing that they're working with in their books now are timeless. They're about moving beyond, moving outside of time for, you know, the reclamation of the aspects of self from any time that have been sort of disowned or disregarded or held in fear. And it feels like pretty potent stuff. They're ju- they've just really begun teaching this now, so I can't speak to it they did it in this group that i'd convened for some book dictation and we were all surprised you know at what what was happening so we'll see well how how exciting um again a big congratulations on the book the kingdom there'll be a link below in the show notes but paul is there anything i've asked all the questions would you like to share anything on a final note with the passion harvest audience no i mean i i don't you know i don't know anything anymore i (laughs) know I'm so, you know, I'm so flummoxed by it all. And um, I want to say, trust the journey. If nothing else, trust the journey. Because I don't know that we get to know where we're going anymore in the ways that we used to think. I don't know we ever did, but I think we used to think we got to know. And I don't know that we think that anymore. And maybe that's part of the wonder of being alive is to sort of enter into the unknown and, 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 and befriend that you know, because the unknown is the place where fear likes to hang out. But if we make it a friend, perhaps it's not so scary. I love that. I love that. Paul Selling, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.